Chapter Ten of Farewell Nicola by Guy Boothby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten. To the joy of everyone, by the Thursday following, Miss Trevor was sufficiently recovered to be able to leave her room. It was a happy day for everyone concerned, particularly for the Duke, who came nearer presenting the appearances of an amiable lunatic on that occasion than I had ever seen him before. Why my wife should have encouraged him in his extravagance, I cannot say, but the fact remains that she allowed him to go out with her that morning with the professed idea of purchasing a few flowers to decorate the drawing-room for the invalid's reception. So great was their extravagance that the room more resembled a hothouse or a flower-show than a civilised apartment. I pointed this out to my wife with a gentle remonstrance. I was informed that, being a mere husband, I knew nothing at all about the matter. I trust that I preserved my balance and lived up to my reputation for sanity in the midst of this general excitement. Though I am prepared to confess that I was scarcely myself when the triumphal procession, consisting of my wife and the dean, set off to the invalid's apartment to escort her in. When she appeared, it was like a ghost of her former self, and a poor one ghost too. Her father, of course, she had already seen, but neither I nor Glenbarth had, of course, had the honour of meeting her since she was taken ill. She received him very graciously and was kind enough to thank me for the little I had done for her. We seated her between us in a comfortable chair, placed a footstool under her feet, and then, in order that she should not have too much excitement and that she might rest quietly, the Dean, the Duke and myself were sent about our business for an hour. When we returned, a basket of exquisite roses stood on the table, and on examining it, the card of Don José de Martinos was found to be attached to it. It is some proof of the anxiety that Glenbarth felt not to do anything that might worry her, when I say that he read the card and noted the giver without betraying the least trace of annoyance. It is true that he afterwards furnished me with his opinion of the giver for presuming to send them, but the casual observer would have declared that had he been present to observe the manner in which he behaved when he had first seen the gift that he had taken no interest in the matter at all the next day miss trevor was permitted to get up a little earlier and on the day following a little earlier still in the meantime more flowers had arrived from the don while he himself had twice made personal inquiries as to the progress she was making it was not until the third day of her convalescence that nicola called to see his patient I was sitting alone with her at the time, my wife and our other two guests having gone shopping in the Masseria. I was idly cutting a copy of a Tauchnitz publication that I procured for her on the previous day. The weather was steadily growing warmer, and for this reason the windows were open, and a flood of brilliant sunshine was streaming into the room. On the canal outside came the sounds of rippling laughter, and an unmistakably American voice called out, Say, girls, what do you think of Venice now you're here? And then another voice replied, Plenty of water about, but they don't seem to wash their buildings much. Miss Trevor was about to speak. In fact, she had opened her lips to do so when a strange expression appeared upon her face. She closed her eyes for a moment, and I began to fear that she was ill. When she opened them again, I was struck by the strange fact that the eyes were certainly there, but there was no sort of life in them. They were like those of a sleepwalker, who, while his eyes are open, sees nothing of things about him. A moment later there was a knock at the door, 
and dr nicola escorted by a servant entered the room wishing us good morning he crossed the room and shook hands with miss trevor afterwards with myself you're certainly looking better he said addressing his patient and placing his finger and thumb upon her wrist as he spoke i am much better she answered but for some reason without her usual animation in that case i think this will be the last visit i shall pay you in my professional capacity he said you've been an excellent patient and in the interests of what our friend sir richard here calls science permit me to offer you my grateful thanks it is i who should thank you she answered as if she were repeating some lesson she had learnt by heart i trust then on the principle that one seldom or never acts as one should but you will not do it he replied with a smile i am amply rewarded by observing that the flush of health is returning to your cheeks he then inquired after my wife's health bade me be careful of her for the reasons that since i had behaved so outrageously towards them no other doctors in venice would attend her should she be taken ill and then rose to bid us adieu it's a very short visit i said cannot we persuade you to give us a little more of your society i fear not he answered i am developing quite a practice in venice and my time is no longer my own you have other patients i asked in some surprise for i did not think he would condescend to such a thing i have your friend don martinos now upon my hands he said the good galaghetti is so abominably grateful for what i did for his child that he will insist on trying to draw me into experimenting upon other people would it be indiscreet to ask what is the matter with the don i said he does not look like a man who would be likely to be an invalid i did not think there was so very much wrong with him nikola replied vaguely at any rate it's not anything that can be very easily put right when he left the room i accompanied him down the corridor as far as the hall the fact of the matter is he began when we were alone together our friend the don has been running the machinery of life a little too fast of late i am told that he lost no less a sum than fifty thousand pounds in english money last week and certainly his nerves are not what they once were is he a gambler then i said an inveterate gambler i should say nikola answered and when a spaniard takes to that sort of amusement he generally does it most thoroughly whatever the don's illness may have been it had certainly made its mark upon his appearance i chanced to meet him that afternoon on the rialto bridge and was thunderstruck at the change the man's face was white and his eyes had dark rings under them and to my thinking spoke for an enfeebled heart when he stopped to speak to me i noticed that his hands trembled as though he were afflicted with st vitus's dance i hope miss trevor is better he said after i had commented upon the fact that i had not seen him of late much better i answered in fact she may be now said to be convalescent i was sorry to hear from dr nicola however that you yourself are not quite the thing nerves only nerves he answered with what was almost a frightened look in his eyes dr nicola will set me right in no time i'm sure of that i've had a run of beastly luck lately it's upset me more than i can say i knew to what he referred but i did not betray my knowledge after that he bade me farewell and continued his walk that evening another exquisite basket of flowers arrived from miss trevor there was no card attached to it but as the duke denied all knowledge of it i felt certain as to whence it came on the day following for the first time since her illness miss trevor was able to leave the house and go for a short airing upon the canal we were rejoiced to take her and made arrangements for her comfort but there was one young man who was more attentive than all the rest of the party put together would miss trevor like another cushion is she quite sure that she was comfortable 
would she have preferred a gondola to a barker i said nothing but i wondered what the dean thought for he is an observant old gentleman as for the young lady herself she accepted the other's attentions with most charming good humour and thus all went merry as marriage bells on the day following she went out again on the afternoon of the next day felt so much stronger as to express a desire to walk for a short time on the piazza of st mark we accordingly landed at the well-known steps strolled slowly towards the cathedral it was a lovely afternoon the air being soft and warm with a gentle breeze blowing in from the sea it is needless for me to say that glenbarth was in the seventh heaven of delight and was already beginning to drop sundry little confidences into my ear her illness had ruined the opportunity he had hoped to have had but he was going to make up for it now indeed it looked very much as if she had last made up her mind concerning him but having had one experience of the sex i was not going to assure myself that all was satisfactory until a definite announcement was made by the lady herself as it turned out it was just as well that i did so for that afternoon not altogether unexpectedly i must confess was destined to prove the truth of the old saying that the course of true love never runs smooth miss trevor with the duke on one side and my wife on the other was slowly passing across the great square when a man suddenly appeared before us from one of the shops on our right this individual was none other than the don jose de martinos who raised his hat politely to the ladies and expressed his delight at seeing miss trevor abroad once more as usual he was faultlessly dressed and on the whole looked somewhat better in health than he had done when i had last seen him by some means i scarcely know how it was done he managed to slip in between my wife and miss trevor and in this order we made our way towards our usual resting place florian's cafe never since we had known him had the don exerted himself so much to please the duke however did not seem satisfied his high spirits had entirely left him and in consequence he was now as quiet as he had been talkative before it was plain to all of us that the don admired miss trevor and that he wanted her to become aware of the fact next morning he made an excuse and joined our party again at this the duke's anger knew no bounds personally i must confess that i was very sorry for the young fellow it was very hard upon him and just as he was progressing so favourably that another should appear upon the scene and distract the lady's attention yet there was only one way of ending it if only he could summon up sufficient courage to do it i fear however that he was either too uncertain as to the result or that he dreaded his fate should she consign him to the outer darkness too much to put it into execution for this reason he had to submit to sharing her smiles with the spaniard which if only he could have understood it was an excellent thing for his patience and a salutary trial for his character meanwhile my wife looked on in despair i thought it was all settled she said pathetically on one occasion and now they are as far off as ever why on earth does that troublesome man come between them because he has quite as much right to be there as the other i answered if the duke wants her let him ask her but that's just what he won't do the whole matter should have been settled by now it's all very well for you to say that she returned the poor boy would have done it before gertrude was taken ill but that you opposed him and a very proper proceeding too i answered miss trevor was under my charge and i was certainly not going to let any young man doubtless very desirable but he had only known her two days propose to her and get sent about his business 
render it impossible for our party to continue together and by so doing take all the pleasure out of our holiday so it was only of yourself you were thinking she returned with that wonderful inconsistency that is such a marked trait in her character why do you urge him now to do it because miss gertrude is no longer under my charge i answered her father is here and is able to look after her then an idea occurred to me and i acted upon it at once when you come to think of it my dear i said as if i had been carefully considering the question why should the don not make gertrude as good a husband as glenbarth he is rich and doubtless comes of a very good family and would certainly make a very presentable figure in society she stared at me aghast well she said in astonishment i must say that i think you are a loyal friend you know that the duke has set his heart upon marrying her and yet you are championing the cause of his rival i should never have thought it of you dick i hastened to assure her that i was not in earnest but for a moment i almost fancied she thought i was if you're on the duke's side i wonder that you encourage don martinos to continue his visit she went on after the other matter had been satisfactorily settled i cannot tell you how much i dislike him i feel that i would rather see gertrude married to a crossing sweeper than to that man how can she even tolerate him i do not know i find it very difficult to do so poor don i said he does not appear to have made very good impression in common justice i must admit so far as i am concerned he has been invariably extremely civil because he wants your interest you are the head of the house it's a pretty fiction let it pass however she pretended not to notice my jibe he's gambling away every halfpenny he possesses i regarded her with unfeigned astonishment how could she have become aware of this fact and put the question to her someone connected with the hotel told my maid philippa she answered they say he never returns to the hotel until between two and three in the morning he's not married i retorted she vouchsafed no remark to this speech but bidding me to keep my eyes open and beware lest there should be trouble between the two men left me to my own thoughts the warning she had given me was not a futile one for it needed only half an eye to see that glenbarth and martinos were desperately jealous of one another they eyed each other when they met as if at any moment they were prepared to fly at each other's throats once the duke's behaviour was such as to warrant my speaking to him upon the subject when we were alone together my dear fellow i said i must ask you to keep yourself in hand i don't like having to talk to you but i have to remember that there are ladies in the case and why on earth doesn't martinos keep out of my way he asked angrily you pitch into me for getting riled but don't you see how villainously rude he is to me he contradicts me as often as he can and for the rest of the time treats me as if i were a child in return you treat him as if he were an outsider and had no right to look at much less to speak to miss trevor nevertheless he is our friend or if he is not our friend he has at least been introduced to us by a friend now i have no desire that you should quarrel at all but if you must do so let it be when you are alone together and also when you are out of the hotel i had no idea how literally my words were to be taken that night according to a custom he had late adopted martinus put in an appearance after dinner and brought his guitar with him as he bade us good evening i looked at the duke's face it was pale and set as if he had had at last come to an understanding with himself presently my wife and i sang a duet together in a fashion that pointed very plainly to the fact that our thoughts were elsewhere 
Miss Trevor thanked us in a tone that showed me that she had also given but a small attention to our performance. Then Gertrude sang a song of Tosti's very prettily, and was rewarded with enthusiastic applause. After this, the Don was called upon to perform. He took up his guitar, and having tuned it, struck a few chords and began to sing. Though I look back upon that moment now with real pain, I must confess that I do not think I had ever heard him sing better. The merry laughter of the song suited his voice to perfection. It was plainly a comic ditty, with some absurd imitations of a farmyard at the end of each verse. When he had finished, my wife politely asked him to give us a translation of the words. Fate willed that she should ask, I suppose, and also that he should answer it. It is a story of a foolish young man who loved a fair maid, he replied, speaking with the utmost deliberation. Unfortunately, however, he was afraid to tell her of his love. He pined to be with her, yet whenever he was desirous of declaring his passion, his courage failed him at the last moment, and he was compelled to talk of the most commonplace things, such as the animals upon his father's farm. At last she, tiring of such a laggard, sent him away in disgust to learn how to woo. In the meantime, she married a man who was better acquainted with his business. Whether the song was exactly as he had described it, I'm not in a position to say. The fact, however, remains that at least four of our party saw the insinuation and bitterly resented it. I saw the Duke's face flush and then go pale. I thought for a moment he was going to say something. But he contented himself by picking up a book from the table by his side and glancing carelessly at it. I could guess by the way his hands gripped it, something of the storm that was raging in his breast. My wife, meanwhile, had turned the conversation into another channel by asking the dean what he had thought of a certain old church he had visited that morning. This gave a little relief, but not very much. Ten minutes later the don rose and bade us good night with a sneer on his face. He even extended his good wish to the Duke, who bowed but did not reply. When he had gone, my wife gave the signal for a general dispersal, and Glenbarth and I were presently left in the drawing-room alone. I half expected an immediate outburst, but to my surprise he said nothing on the subject. I had no intention of referring to it unless he did, and so the matter remained for the time in abeyance. After a conversation on general topics, Lasting perhaps a quarter of an hour, we wished each other good night and retired to our respective rooms. When I entered my wife's room later, I was prepared for the discussion which I knew was inevitable. What do you think of your friend now? she asked, with a touch of sarcasm thrown into the word friend. You of course heard how he insulted the Duke. I noticed that he did a very foolish thing, not only for his own interests with us, but for several other reasons. You may rely upon it that if ever he had any chance with Gertrude, he never had the remotest chance, I can promise you that, my wife interrupted. I say, if ever he had a chance with Gertrude, he has lost it now. Surely that should satisfy you. It does not satisfy me that he should be rude to our guest at any time, but I am particularly averse to his insulting him in our presence. You need not worry yourself, I said, in all probability you will see no more of him. I shall convey a hint to him upon the subject. It will not be pleasant for Anstruther's sake. Mr. Anstruther should have known better than to have sent him to us, she replied. There is one thing I am devoutly thankful for, and that is that the Duke took it so beautifully. He might have been angry and have made a scene. 
indeed i should not have blamed him had he done so i did not ask her for reasons of my own whether she was sure that his grace of glenbarth was not angry i must confess that i was rendered more uneasy by the quiet way he had taken it than if he had burst into an explosion concealed fires are invariably more dangerous than open ones next morning after breakfast while we were smoking together in the balcony a note was brought to glenbarth he took it opened it and when he had read the contents thrust it hastily in his pocket no answer he said as he lit a cigar and i thought his hand trembled a little as he put the match to it his face was certainly paler than usual and there was a faraway look in his eyes that showed me that it was not the canal or the houses opposite that he was looking upon there is something behind all of this and i must find out what it is i said to myself surely he can't be going to make a fool of himself i knew however that my chance of getting anything satisfactory out of him lay in saying nothing about the matter just then i must play my game in another fashion what do you say if we run down to rome next week i asked after a little pause my wife and miss trevor seemed to think they would enjoy it there are lots of people we know there just now i should be very pleased he answered but with a visible effort at any other time he would have jumped eagerly at the suggestion decidedly there was something wrong at luncheon he was preoccupied so much that i could see miss trevor wondered what was the matter had she known the terrible suspicion that was growing in my own mind i wonder what she would have said and also how she would have acted that afternoon the ladies resolved to remain at home and the dean decided to stay with them in consequence the duke and i went out together he was still as quiet as he had been in the morning but as yet i had not been able to screw up my courage to such a pitch as to be able to put the question to him once however i asked the reason for his quietness and received the evasive reply that he was not feeling quite up to the mark that day this time i came a little nearer to the point you're not worrying about that wretched fellow's rudeness i hope i said looking him fairly and squarely in the face not in the least he answered why should i be well because i know you are hot-tempered i returned rather puzzled to find an explanation for him oh i'll have it out with him at some time or other i've no doubt he continued and then changed the subject by referring to some letters he had from home that day when we later returned to the hotel for afternoon tea we found the two ladies eagerly awaiting our coming from the moment that he entered the room miss trevor was graciousness itself to the young man she smiled upon him encouraged him until he scarcely knew whether he was standing upon his head or his heels i fancy she was anxious to compensate him for the don's rudeness to him that evening we all complained of feeling tired and accordingly went to bed early i was the latest of the party and my own man had not left my dressing-room more than a minute before he returned with the information that the duke's valet would be glad if he could have a few words with me send him in i said forthwith the man made his appearance what is it henry i inquired is your master not well i don't know what's wrong with his grace sir the man replied i'm very much frightened about him and i thought i would come to you at once why what is the matter he seemed well enough when i bade him good night half an hour ago it isn't that sir he's well enough in his body said the man there's something else behind it all i know sir you won't mind my coming to you i didn't know what else to do you better tell me everything and i shall know how to act what do you think is the reason of it well sir it's like this henry went on his grace has been very quiet all day he wrote a lot of letters this morning and put them in his dispatch box i'll tell you what i'll do with them later henry he said when he had finished well i didn't think very much of that 
but when to-night he asked me what i'd made up in my mind to do with myself if ever i should leave his service and told me that he had put it down in his will that i was to have five hundred pounds if he should die before i left him i began to think there was something the matter well sir i took his things to-night and was in the act of leaving the room when he called me back go out early for a swim in the sea tomorrow morning he said but i shan't say anything to sir richard hatteras about it because i happen to know that he thinks the currents about here are dangerous well one never knows what might turn up he goes on to say and if by any chance henry though i hope such a thing will not happen i should be caught and should not return i want you to give this letter to sir richard but remember this you are on no account to touch it till midday do you understand i told him not i did but i was so frightened by what he said that i made up my mind to come and see you at once this was disturbing intelligence indeed and what he said there could be no doubt that the don and glenbarth contemplated fighting a duel in that case what was to be done to attempt to reason with the duke in his present humour would be absurd besides his honour was at stake and though i am totally against duels that counts for something i'm glad you told me this henry i said for now i shall know how to act don't worry about your master's safety he's safe in my hands he shall have his swim tomorrow morning i shall take very good care that he is watched you may go to bed with an easy heart and don't think about that letter it will not be needed for he will come to no harm the man thanked me civilly and withdrew considerably relieved in his mind by his interview with me then i sat myself down to think the matter out what was i to do doubtless the don was an experienced duellist or glenbarth though a very fair shot with a rifle or fowling piece would have no chance against him with a pistol or a sword it was by no means an enviable position to be placed in and i fully realized my responsibility in the matter i felt that i needed help but to whom should i apply for it the dean would be worse than useless while to go to the don and ask him to sacrifice his honour to our friendship for glenbarth would be to run the risk of being shown the door then i thought of nikola and made my mind up to go to him at once since the duke had spoken of leaving the hotel early in the morning there could be no doubt as to the hour of the meeting in that case there was no time to be lost i thereupon went to explain matters to my wife i had a suspicion this would happen she said when she had heard me out oh dicky must stop it without fail i should never forgive myself if anything were to happen to him while he is our guest go to dr nikola at once and tell him everything and implore him to help us as he has helped us before thus encouraged i left her and went back to my dressing-room to complete my attire this done i descended to the hall to endeavour to obtain a gondola good fortune favoured me for the american party who had but lately arrived at the hotel had just returned from the theatre i engaged the man who had brought them and told him to take me to the palace of Vici with all possible speed it's a late hour signor he replied i'd rather go anywhere than to that house in the rio di consiglio you'll be well paid for your trouble and also for your fear i replied as i got into the boat next moment we were on our way a light was burning in nicola's room as we drew up at the palace steps i bade the gondolier wait for me and to ensure his doing so refused to pay him until my return then i rang the bell and was rewarded in a few minutes by hearing nicola's footsteps on the flagstones of the courtyard when the door opened he was vastly surprised at seeing me he soon recovered his equilibrium however it took more than a small surprise to upset nicola he invited me to enter 
i hope there is nothing wrong he said politely or otherwise how am i to account for this late call something is very wrong indeed i said i have come to consult you and to ask for your assistance by this time he had reached his own room that horrible room i remembered so well the fact of the matter is i said seating myself in the chair he offered me as i spoke the duke of glenbarth and don de martinos have arranged to fight a duel soon after daybreak to fight a duel nippet repeated so it's come to this has it well what do you want me to do surely it is needless for me to say i replied i want you to help me stop it you like the duke i know surely you will not allow that brave young life to be sacrificed by that spaniard from the way you speak it would appear that you do not care for martinos nicola replied frankly confess that i do not i replied he was introduced to me by a personal friend but none of my party care very much for him and now this new affair only adds to our dislike he insulted the duke most unwarrantably in my drawing-room last night and this duel is the result uh, always the same always the same nicola muttered to himself but the end is coming and his evil deeds will bear their own fruit and turning to me he said aloud since you wish it i will help you don jose is a magnificent shot and he will place a bullet in the duke's anatomy wherever he may choose to receive it the issue would never for one moment be in doubt how do you know that don is such a good shot i inquired with considerable surprise for until the moment that i had introduced him to each other i had no idea that they had ever met i know more about him than you think he answered fixing his glittering eyes upon me but now to business if they fight at daybreak there is not much time to be lost he went to his writing-table at the other side of the room and wrote a few lines on a sheet of note-paper placing it in an envelope he inquired whether i had told my gondolier to wait upon my answering in the affirmative he left me and went down the stairs what have you done i inquired when he returned i have sent word to an agent i sometimes employ he said he will keep his eyes open now you'd better get back to your hotel and to bed sleep secure on my promise that the two men shall not fight when you are called take the gondola you will find awaiting you outside the hotel and i will meet you at a certain place now let me wish you a good night he conducted me to the hall below and saw me into the gondola and saying something to the gondolier that i did not catch he bade me adieu and i returned to the hotel punctually at five o'clock i was awakened by a tapping at my bedroom door i dressed donned a cloak for the morning was cold and descended to the hall the night watchman informed me that a gondola was awaiting me at the steps and conducted me to it without a word i got in and the little craft shot out into the canal we entered a narrow street on the other side it took two or three turnings to right and then left and at last came to a standstill at some steps that i had never noticed before a tall figure wrapped in a black cloak was awaiting us there it was nicola entering the gondola he took his place at my side then once more we set off at the same moment so nicola informed me glenbarth was leaving the hotel End of chapter ten